welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast. Here as always to model healthy communication for men. My guest this week is Dr. Salvatore Forcina. He was born in born uh, in Italy and a first generation immigrant, a surgeon in his past life and now an author. Uh, he has a book that was recently released called The American Doctor which shares his fabulous story of survival and not just surviving but thriving. So, hello, doctor. Welcome to the the Bro Nouveau podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. How did I do with the pronunciation of your of your last name? Well, the name in Italian. I'm Italian. The name. Okay. Well, I'm American now, but I was born in Italy, and the name is Forcina. But because Forcina. because I lived twenty years in Argentina, and the Spanish pronunciation is Forcina. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So was Argentina before you made your way to the U.S.? Yes, yes. I was born in Italy during the war, uh, World War II, and then in the Scouris, a small town between Roma and Naples. And that area was really devastated during the, the, during the war. Uh, there was destruction, misery. There were no jobs. There was uh, people had to escape to the mountain. And uh, there was a lot of misery. And um, so my parents, uh, my father in desperation went to Argentina in 1947. With a, he was a worker and, uh, and the company moved there. And uh, he developed some sort of post-traumatic syndrome after mm. the war. He was, uh, his brother got killed during the war. His brother-in-law got killed. His father they, uh, disappeared and for many months, and they didn't know if he was alive. He was a German prisoner or whatever. So there was a there was a lot of a lot of uncertainty. So he went to Argentina, and eventually in '49, my brother, that was two years old, me, I was eight years old, and my mother joined him in Argentina, and uh, we started with the we were immigrant there. But immigrant at that time, you were nobody. You were just, you know. Yeah. What uh, was the, well, what region of Argentina were you in? In Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires province, but the city was Azul, A-Z-U-L, in the center of the Buenos Aires province. And and so we were living in the outskirts of the the city. They were... um, uh, my mother didn't speak in Spanish, and then uh, she was around 10 years old, uh, was very anxious all the time. I remember my mother waiting for the mailman to bring some news about her family, and that news seemed that never arrived. And when that, new, the, that letter came, uh, my poor mother, I, you had to realize that at that time, there was no, we didn't have telephone, there was no television, we didn't have radio, we didn't have nothing. We were isolated in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. so, so this is a, you know, psychological was a big factor. And so my poor mother, 
when she got that letter, I still remember today, used to read and read and reread that letter because she was like looking for something that the, only her soul could read. You know? So that's, uh, that's uh, the picture I remember of my mother at that time. We were kids. We were playing the street, the dirty street. There was no asphalt. And um, and there was a lot of you know we 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 don't have any toys. We made the ball soccer ball with the sock, and we yeah. kicked the ball in the dust and the dirt until the ball become like a sausage, you know, lost <laughs> the shape. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so that was the the way I grew up. And of course, uh, my father, um, like I say, he was a worker. And uh, and at that time he went to maybe only to he only had my him and my mother second third grade only because those families they were big families and the kids even they were small they had to pitch in they had to help the family to survive life was very tough mm-hmm. and so what happened but my father read all his life he read all his life. And his desire was for me to become somebody. Of course, I was eight years old, and at that time, you know, the the eight years old today in the United States with a computer and everything is a different to be <laughs> eight years old at my time. You know what I'm saying? So anyhow, yeah, yes. so and I didn't, um, no, I didn't understand. Eight years old child, who want to study? I mean, study is no easy. You want to, uh, you know, have fun, whatever, uh, play with your friends, or whatever. So anyhow, so all that changed when one day, uh, not too far away from my parents' house, there was a church, and some priests came to preach there or whatever, and they were showing picture of the school. The school has a, I remember they have a soccer uh, place where pe- kids were playing. They were a pony, were riding a pony. They were uh, uh, kids swimming in the a creek, a small creek there, river, whatever. And then, so I, uh, they suggested if I was interested to join them. And this school was in Buenos Aires, 300 kilometers away from my parents. And of course, my father jump at the situation because he said maybe <laughs> that's the opportunity for me to you know to right. become somebody so i went to the school i was 11 years old this there was a boarding school i saw my parents once a year catholic it was a catholic yeah it was a, a german priest a lot of discipline they were a lot like a spartan uh regime right. you know there was a was I remember it was uh, was hard it was very hard for me it was uh, seeing my parents only to be uh, uh, far away from my parents I you know it was uh, I, I was very traumatic but, and yes. what happened was that you see what happened I I saw only one face of the medal or the coin the other face was that you had to pray constantly pray masses and study. And that word, and that word, study for me was uh, I couldn't digest that. I couldn't digest that, you know. 
So anyhow, gradually, gradually. Uh, I'm sorry. Can I can I go back uh, sure. to the question? So just just going back to uh, fleeing Italy. Just today, looking back in history, what is the 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 current Italian legacy of Mussolini? Perspective of Mussolini? Is it someone who is universally you know looked at in a negative light, or is it a complicated kind of legacy? Well, I would say it's a mix of them. The majority of the people today, according to my knowledge, um, that's a dark history, the Italian politics, because Italy was not prepared for the war. War is no good anyhow. Mm. In my book, war is no good anyhow. But what happened was that the Italy was not prepared for the war. Many People, my uncle, he died, unnecessary, dead. What did they accomplish anyhow? They didn't accomplish it. So the system was, uh, I'm gonna, if, if you mind, I can say something regarding when my father was young, just to give you the fa- an idea of the fascism, of what fascism was, was about. Uh, of course, the new generation today here in the United States, I don't know. You know they are not exposed <laughs> they, to that. They are not yeah, exposed yeah. to that. So what happened was my father was young. So and they, like, they were poor. And so what happened was that one day he went to the center where the fascist uh, people were, the, the leaders. And so he presented himself. And you know, over there, from since you won uh, almost... Uh, in the first grade, you are a member of the fascist party. And you had to display with a black shirt and go into the parade and this and that. You like or not, that was the system. Mm. All right? So anyhow, my father, they told him he had to get two uniforms, buy two uniforms. And so really, he, could, he couldn't afford that. So he went there and he said, well, you know, I will buy one, and the, you guys provide the other one free. No, we cannot do that. But and so my father, straight person, said, "Well, how come so and so he got two uniforms for, for free?" So this guy, this guy, in front of everybody, got my uh, grabbed my father by the back of the neck, and the pants and throw him in the middle of the street and that humiliation was something at that time and everybody's laughing at you but you know the irony was that when Mussolini fell and the regime was knocked down there was a lot of retaliation and people were afraid and my father used to tell me that the this person that did this to my father, the mother came where my parents, my grandparents used to live, kneeled herself in front of my grandmother and asked forgiveness because they knew, you know, the retaliation, the vengeance. Those people didn't go to the judicial system. They went there and they, they took a in their own hands so that was terrible you know so just to give an idea of the system you know 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a, I, th- I think at least here in the United States, a lot of world war two history is centered around Germany, right? The third Reich, you know, mm-hmm. Nazism, but yeah. there were a lot of other players. In oh the yeah. Mix. Oh yeah. A lot of misery, a lot of misery. And you know what happened? Because you see what happened. Scouty, Monte Cassino, Monte Cassino was the, was the center of the, the famous abbey of Monte Cassino. Uh, that, that was the center where the, uh, uh, the German, how all the uh, uh, cannon and the prevented for the allies to advance for almost six, seven months. And they were between one side and the other, there were more than 200,000 people dead there, plus the injury. And they said, that was tremendous, tremendous. Oh. Very bad. Yeah. Very bad. Okay, okay. Okay, so you flee Italy. And then getting to this rural part of Argentina, had they seen immigrants? You know, were these were these kind of Spanish descendant Argentinians? Were they native Argentinians? And what was the climate like as far as their acceptance to your family? Well, at that time, there was a lot of prejudice. There were a lot of prejudice. First of all, the fact that you were Italian and the Italian had lost the war and how the the, the the history, uh, uh, you know, the, the media didn't represent the Italian, they represent the, the, only one side, only the winner. Uh, the, right. So anyhow, so there was a lot of prejudice. Uh, and, the, you know, and, and, and what happened, uh, the psychology at that time, that you just had to, you left you, you, place where you were born, where you had your family, where you had your roots, you, the, and you go to another place at the end of the world at that time, maybe you will not see your family for never again because, you know, the communication, they were different. They were not the, <laughs> the yeah. progress that we had today. Look at you, you and me, we are talking here, uh, you know, like a... Uh, yeah, it's so anyhow, yes. So there were the different times, different uh, circumstances. So we really had to, um, to uh, it was very difficult to be ac- accepted. And, uh, and I remember I was, uh, you know, psychologically, when I used to go to school, eventually, uh, I was the son of the immigrant. The son of the immigrant, you were right. like a third class citizen, you know? So all my friends, they were the son of the doctor, the lawyer, the stanciero, people that have a lot of land, the cows. So they, they let you know. They let you know. I was a teenager, you know, and you uh, you saw how they, they dress, and I couldn't. I had only one jacket to go to school, the same jacket all the time. And then, But you know what? I never was envious of, the, of them. But that's what motivated me and my father talking to me, motivated me to work hard. And because I knew my life was like being in a hole. And I went to get out of that hole. And that was the the motivation I had. I want to be somebody. Yeah. Yeah. How how long or how is the process of learning Spanish as a young person? Well, it was, uh, you know, I was uh, eight years old, so it was much easier than for me to come to this country 
when I came to this country, I didn't speak English. Wow. I didn't speak English. So, <laughs> well, yeah. listen to me. So I didn't speak English. I studied English there in my secondary, but, you know, you just, to, I started to pass the grades. And then I never had any idea that one day I was going to end up in United States, to be in a citizen in the United States, okay? So anyhow, so whatever, I came here and I didn't speak English. And my degree, I was a doctor already in Argentina, but here I was not recognized. My degree was not recognized here. So I had to, and you know what? The other thing is that I was 28 years old and I never saw multiple choices in my life. Oh, wow. And I had to, well, I had to take a, this big exam that was given for the foreign graduate and the United States graduate outside the United States, the doctor. And so, and you, in order to pass that exam, you had to pass that exam not to practice, but to be able to apply to a special uh, hospital where they have a resident program and a and that's the reason I applied to Cooper Hospital in Camden, and I did five years of surgical training there. Okay. And and how did you, what was the pathway from, so that secondary school <laughs> where the nuns and the priests were probably uh, hitting you and starving yes. you and all this horrible stuff. How did you well, end up in I medicine? Was, well, what happened was, first of all, I went with the priest there, and gradually, as I grew up, uh, you know, I started to realize, learn about life. Mm -hmm. The hormonal changes while you're teenagers start to ask questions. And you know what? I got in trouble. I got in trouble. I was reported to the superior yeah. because I, I, I start to ask questions. Right. They don't and, like uh, that. They don't like that. <laughs> At that time, I, I questioned, and so the, the superior uh, took me there and they admonished me. And he said, next time that you behave in this way, we're going to expel you. And I was maybe 14, 15 years old, 16, I don't remember. And he said, and what are you going to do? You are not an intelligent person. <laughs> Jeez. So at that time, you know, at that time, I I took that like, a, you know, he's a, he's a teacher. I mean, who am I? Right. I didn't question. But through the years, that really bothered me because at that time, I need an advice and encouragement. I don't need. I need to yeah. stimulate me. Negativity. You to guide negativity. me. I am taking the, the wrong way show me the right way. You are supposed to be a teacher. Right. Right, right, right. So how did you cope with all of that? I mean, everything, like you're observing, well, first the whole fleeing home must have been tough. Now you're observing your mom, anxious, yeah. dad struggling, not respected. You are not yeah. respected off the bat. And so, but But today, you know, looking at your life today, you seem happy, you seem calm, you seem joy joyful. So how did you how did you manage those tough times and those all those psychological challenges and, and grow to the person you are? 
Well, what happened, life, you make experience. The road is never straight and never smooth. Mm -hmm. So you have the up and down. And more than one occasion, I was ready to quit. Yeah. Because when I was in Argentina and university, my parents couldn't afford the books. So what happened was in La Plata, University of La Plata, close to Buenos Aires, um, my friends, they were well off. We were sharing. It was an old house with a different room, and we were sharing this house. On weekend, all of them, they used to go to Buenos Aires to have a good time Friday afternoon until Monday. And so that was the time when I used to use their books, borrow their books, mm. and study, wow. making notes. Well, so what, had, what motivated me was, as I grew up, I started to see the type of life that my parents had and how they worked so hard. And the irony is that they, they were in Argentina for 30 years, and they worked very hard. They went to Argentina young. And so what happened, Argentina was an unstable, and even today it's an unstable country. And so the revolution, inflation, whatever, okay, they lost whatever they, they earned in 30 years that disappeared in no time. So imagine leaving your country, the tragedy of the war. You have your hope to go to another place. You don't have the roots there. Took time to get the roots. And when it seems that the you are the tree was growing and start to produce flowers, suddenly no fruit came from the plant. Mm. So they they were a lot of uh, you know they and, and that that as I grew up and I start to be conscious of my parents' situation. So that's why that stimulated me more because I couldn't destroy my parents' hope mm. because they believed in me. I was the only hope that they, they, they did all that. They left the family to give me and my brother a future. Yeah. And this future was against all the ads. Totally. D did they live out their lives in Argentina? Well, they were there for 30 years. Eventually, when I got married to this country, uh, <laughs> they came for a wedding. And then, so eventually they went back to Italy and we helped them out to build an apartment there and they had better life. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. That's good. They had a relaxing end of their lives, hopefully. Well, yes, yeah. They were able to, they came many times to the United States. My mother was all that anxious for to remain here because we have relatives in, in New York and, uh, uh, and uh, Connecticut. And so, but my father, uh, you know, he was, um, he had his friend in Italy. They are used to the different type of life. They live two blocks from the beach. He used to go and get the fish over there for them. The food was a special thing, making around the wine. You know, it's a different type of life. Mm. And they, they had a certain age. They didn't, they didn't drive. They didn't speak the English. So to be a, 
at that time in this country was uh, start another another uh, situation like in Argentina, but uh, in Argentina at least they were young. Here already they were when they came to visit already had certain age and uh, they were not going to be adjusted. You know, yeah, yeah. unfortunately that's the life. Yep. And what year did you come to the United States? I came to the United States in 1969, in okay. uh, in uh, in October, I think. And so what happened? I, the memory I have of that day was a very gray day, gray or or November. I don't remember. And I I came to Kennedy Airport, and my family they came to pick me up. And what I noticed was uh, when we were traveling to go to my uncle's house was that a pile of garbage all over. <laughs> Tremendous. The garbage. And so eventually I know, uh, I was made aware that there was a garbage, garbage strike at that time. And they haven't collected garbage for weeks or whatever. So, so I had a very bad impression, <laughs> my first impression when I came here. But eventually when I start to see things or whatever, and I, I, I saw the possibility that this country could offer me. I really applied, applied myself. Of course, I had to, I didn't speak English, like I said before. I had to borrow money from my family to go to New York University to, to learn English. Eventually, I had to take those exams. I had to be prepared for the exam. The first time I took the exam, I, I, like I said, I was not familiar with the multiple choice, but the I didn't even know there was a timing. So uh, when we, I was taking the exam in New York, uh, so the, the uh, proctor say you have half an hour to finish. And in the meantime, I was getting up, going to get some water, walking around <laughs> because uh, I, I was uh, I was having a headache because I, mean, I was not used to, used yeah. to that, you know. And so what happened was a different world for me. And so... Uh, when they, he said you have half an hour to finish, of course I panic and they start to B B D D C C whatever. Okay, and of course <laughs> I, f- I flunk. I flunk. So eventually, eventually I pass the exam and they start to the cycle. Yeah, it took it uh, like a funnel. It take a take a long way to go in through find the right path, right. the yeah. right way. Yeah. And so when did love walk into your life? Well, what happened was what was supposed to be my father, uh, eventually became my father-in-law, Mr. Petrillo. He's from Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And he was the dean of uh, the Academy of Music in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. The dean, yeah. And so and what happened, one day I was uh, maybe third year training, four year, whatever, and so I was in the operating room. There was a note there to go to see this patient to the particular floor because this gentleman had major surgery and ended up with complications. I would mention that I, that this was uh, in January. I just came back from Argentina because I went to, that was the only time I went back to Argentina because my brother got married. So when they, I just came back, and they, we have a rotating team. I've ended up with the, this team in which my father-in-law, future father-in-law, uh, had major surgery. And ended up with complication. He was uh, not able to eat. He had intravenous. He had tubes all over. 
And my father-in-law, future father-in-law, Mr. Petrillo, he was very, very neat, very precise. He was a, a concertist, classic concertist. Andre Watts was his student, and Arturo Toscanini was his friend. Yeah. Amazing. So what happened is that, so as I walk into the room, he was, I remember him, big eye, pale, sitting at the be- side of the bed, tubes all over, and I introduced myself. And I was a Petrillo, Italian name, so we start to speak Italian. Ah, nice. And he told me that he was a classic uh, concertist, and, uh, and, and I like very much classic music. And, uh, and we start to talk and talk, and uh, so eventually he felt very relaxed, and he said, okay, doctor, are you going to start the intravenous? Because what happened, his arms were all black and blue, swollen, because the only nourishment that he was getting, the intravenous, he was not able to eat. So, you know, the destiny or whatever was that the, I was able to get the IV, not because I was an expert, but because, who knows? He relaxed. The destiny. He was relaxed. But okay. Yeah. He said, okay, doctor, you're going to start the IV? I said, Mr. Petrillo, the IV is in inside. Already it's in. And, uh, so I didn't. So for that, <laughs> nice. from that day on, yeah. It's like they say, after God, I was the second in command in his life. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast. Please leave the show a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To enjoy full-length video episodes, head over to YouTube. You can search Pro Nouveau or simply follow the link in the episode description below. If you or someone you know would make a fascinating guest for this kind of conversation, you can reach me via email. That address is contact at bronouveau.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. And so what happened from that day on, eventually, when he got better and he went home, so one day, and he had a daughter. I met her daughter. It was a beautiful young lady, teacher, special aid. And then, and then you know, start to talk a little bit or whatever. So one day, I received a call because there was going to be a private concert in one of the mansion in Philadelphia, Philippe and Ramon, uh, so, uh, Sonia Sonnenberg, the friend of the family was there, was going to be there. And so Mr. Petrillo called me and said, do you mind to, to go with my daughter, represent us, because I don't feel like it to, I, I'm not up to it. So that's the first time we went. And of course, for me, this guy that the, uh, has so many limitations uh, to go to this place. Uh, to me, it was like a Versailles. Right. You know? 
the yeah. uh, people, whatever. Private okay. luxury. A proud luxury, whatever. Okay, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a different thing. I'm a different. Yeah. I'm, I'm moving up in this world. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, so that's the way we start to date, and eventually, you know, my father-in-law was a, a colonel in the in the army. So we went to the naval base in Philadelphia. There, uh, the the club there, naval club, and they were eating there, dancing there, and um, and that's Amazing. the way it started. And that's how it started. Yeah? You never know the destiny, you know? For sure. I love it. And then, so the story in the beginning is a lot of struggle and challenges, but then I would imagine even when the material possessions are taken care of, challenges still present, right? Yes. So so things change. Maybe you have security now with resources, but other problems come, so... How did you cope with those things in that chapter? Well, first of all, first of all, I'm going to tell you. After I finished training, I went to work in applied to the hospital in Bergen County, in New Jersey, and that was no easy. But the prejudice was there. Mm. You know, you are nobody. Nobody knows you. So what happened for me that the I was around the hospital all the time, but you know, I had to survive. I have a family, I have a wife, I didn't have a child yet, you know. And so I was struggling. And uh, when I was in call the emergency room, most of those calls, the surgery ID, they, they were for, for pro bonus because uh, there were they were no insurance. They didn't have an insurance. And so anyhow, so what happened was one day the chief of surgery needed help in the operating room. And the, the the nurse paged me because they saw me. There was a lot of so I start to work with, uh, help out to the chief of surgery, and I guess uh, he noticed something of me. And so his office start to call me to assist him whenever he had the cases. And when he went on vacation, I covered him. Nice. I start to cover him. But that was no easy because the referring data, the old doctors, uh, you know, this new guy is coming here, who knows him, whatever. Okay. So just to give an example, one day my officer received a call to, I was calling this, the, the, the chief of surgery, to go to the floor to see this patient that was sick. And when there I introduced myself, I had reviewed the x-rays, blood work, everything. And happened that this gentleman have a very infected gallbladder, mm. and uh, you know that's risky. The, the poison can go into the circulation, and up septic shock and everything, etc. So I went there, introduced myself, but I noticed already from the beginning that there was some sort of barrier between him and me. So, you know. I have an accent or whatever. I was young, you know. So anyhow, so I said, Mr. So-and-so, you know, you have an infectable blood. I gave him a recommendation. And I said, okay, doctor, uh, let me talk to my family. And I left. And I was worried about him, okay? So early the following day, I went to see him before I went to the operating room. And when, to my surprise, when I arrived, he said, good morning, Dr. Fortuna. 
this is my wife, this is my daughter. When are we going to do the surgery? But this was a shock to me from the day before to today. Right. There was the picture had changed. So, okay, I went to the nurse station, the head nurse, Joanne. I said, Joanne, what's your... Oh, doctor, you know, since you left yesterday, everybody went into the room or walked in the corridor. He was asking about you. He was asking about... Yeah. And, of course, I have the good reputation, okay? And then, so I did the surgery. Everything went well. Whatever. But just to give an idea, no, I... Not, nobody put the red carpet for right. me to walk over the red carpet. No, I had to. You had to earn the trust. Yes. And the respect. Yeah. And they took a, at a different stage of my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they, this book is about. This book is about to give, to give hope because life is no easy. But you had to, there is two parts. You had to put your desire, you had to get some motivation to work hard. And don't expect that the seed you planted yesterday, the seed you plant today, you're going to harvest yesterday. It's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, Maybe you succeed, maybe no, but you know, that's life. You cannot give up. Definitely. One of the core questions I've been pursuing in my life is the question of purpose. And it, how did you go about finding your, your purpose? Well, my pur- purpose was, first of all, I want to change my life. I want to be somebody like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And what happened, my father talking to me in a simple way and telling me that the way to succeed for him was you had to study, you had to have knowledge. People are going to respect you. That took a long time. But the desire to be somebody, he installed a small light inside me. My life was like walking through a tunnel in which at the end there was a small dim light there. And as I walk and I reach that, that area, there was a sign they say dead end <laughs> and i had to get back because you see what happened here when you go to college you have guidance that already you make plan what are you going to be with it no i was the small i was the small boat in the middle of the ocean at the mercy of the wind yeah I didn't have direction. I couldn't see any shore or anything. So my this was my life. I never have a guidance. I didn't have nobody. I had up and down. My life was an up and down situation. And so that's, but you know what? With the perseverance and the desire to succeed, I'm proud that I accomplished something 
I got out of the hole and I, I was able to see the sun because before I couldn't see the sun from when you're in a hole. How did you know you were out of the hole? Well, because already psychologically my situation improved. I start to get the respect for my colleague. Mm. They give me confidence as people start to trust me. And uh, and like I say, economically also, gradually, I start to change mm-hmm. and they give it. Yep, yep. You know, Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's that's a trickle down, you know, but that didn't happen overnight. Right. Takes that time. didn't happen overnight. They took very time and you had to work very hard, very, very hard. For sure. So, uh, Sal, another conversation we have a lot on my podcast is the idea of masculinity and where it's going. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how do you define being a good man for your own self and your family? But a good man is do the right thing. And what is the right thing? In my book, The Right Thing, I follow the common sense. The fact you have to respect somebody else. I'm no less, but you have to respect somebody's opinion. Mm. And you have to have a frank exchange. You don't have to be, I don't have to be, you don't have to be my enemy because you disagree with me or because whatever, okay, one one have hair, you have hair, I don't have hair. But I'm not <laughs> going to get up, I'm not going to get upset about that. Right. You know what I'm saying? We, we are, every, in my profession, dealing with so many, saving so many lives, and being touched, you learn so much. And you know, and as the year pass by, you see everything is limited. This this uh, thing, nobody. So that's why going back to the war, that you talk about Mussolini, Hitler, whatever, and now look at what's going on in Ukraine, whatever. Okay, for what? For what? Just misery. They brought misery, destruction. If they had, imagine all the money they spent and armament and waste and destruction, they could save so many lives. And people in Ethiopia, they don't have water supply just to put a pump or a windmill to be supplying water to those poor people. This, that's the, what the human being should be, to help in a simple way. What does it take? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Building things, right? Building connections, building goodwill. Well, helping. you know, it, and, and the other thing, you know, what happened, like I said, I compare this all the time. And Like you have a cup of coffee and you have a pint of sugar. You cannot put a pint of sugar inside a cup of coffee because you're, going to make, you're not going to make a coffee. You're going to make a mar- marmalade. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. So there is certain amount you can, uh, you know, so the same thing, the waste. I see it, the waste. This country is rich, but there is a lot of waste too. Totally. So you, you have to be conscious. 
Yes. And then, you know, a lot of our conversations so far, and thank you for sharing that and your whole story oh, today. My pleasure. My yeah. pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. It comes from my heart. You know, yes. it's something that they, uh, I'm 82 years old now. The reason why I, I wrote this book, mm-hmm. when I was young with my wife, we used to go, you know, starting the people invite the neighbors or whatever. And so and you meet different people, different doctors, colleagues, uh, teachers, sometimes politicians or whatever, okay? And you start to talk and they start to talk. And, you you know, I have my conversation, like I'm having a conversation with you. And so someone, more than one person told me, you know, knowing that I came from nowhere, okay, and the thing that I had to go through to become it. And you know what happened? The irony, I ended up with being a chief, chief of surgeon in two hospitals in, uh, in, in New, uh, New Jersey, okay? Mm-hmm. So anyhow, so here we are. You have a, somebody from nowhere became a doctor in this country, and became a chief of surgery, okay? So anyhow, so what happened was in more than one occasion, there were persons saying, oh, doctor, that's wonderful what you have accomplished. You know, you should write a book, a memoir about that. And you know, it never occurred to me the possibility for me to write something. Because I say, my specialty, I feel confident in my specialty because I was trained for that. Mm-hmm. But write a book, you know. <laughs> so, so, so anyhow, so eventually when I retire, and my granddaughter have a granddaughter, she just turned eight years old, and so I start to think about and the nostalgic about my parents, mm-hmm. my youth, mm-hmm. how my father used to talk to me. I say, you know what? What can I do for my grandchild? I'm not going to be here forever. So I want to leave a legacy for her. And I little by little start to write down things. And I send it to my daughter. And my daughter said, Daddy, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You should write it. So, and so it took years. And I start to write. Because you see what happened. I, my hope is, first of all, is that my granddaughter one day is going to be a teenager. And now uh, the teenager year can be difficult years. Mm-hmm. And before, God forbid, she make a wrong decision that she in some way is going to be, is going to regret, perhaps one day this book is there on her desk and she open up one chapter and she said, wow, look at my grandpa, what he accomplished. And maybe it can be of some help for her. At the same token, maybe it can be help to other people mm-hmm. in which they love, they don't have too much, uh, they have low, low esteem of themselves and they had to face the adversity and everything is against them. But like I said, maybe a little bit of hope, stimulation, can, instead of telling, like I was told that I was no intelligent, I just want to be the opposite. I said, yes, you had the potential. It's no, 
Yeah. Like I say, it's not a full charge battery to move the car, but there is some energy there. <laughs> I love your analogies. That's great. <laughs> well, that's a that's a way to compensate. The, <laughs> you know, I didn't go to college in this country. I didn't go to Yale or whatever. But I have a lot of. I learned my uh, based on my experience and uh, uh, upbringing. I learned a lot of a lot of uh, common sense approach yeah. to life. Yeah, and I think that's the best thing. I agree. I agree. And you're an excellent communicator and storyteller, Dr. Fortuna. So thank, <laughs> thank you so I appreciate, much. I appreciate your help. Thank I appreciate your interview. Thank you very much. Thank you. Where can uh where can my guests find your or my audience find your book? Yeah, the book is uh, uh, you can get the book on Amazon, The American Doctor, and you can follow me in uh, Instagram and uh, Dr. For, uh, Salvatore Forcina MD. And um, and uh, the the book is out, and I have very good reviews so far. And um, I hope people read this book, and uh, and they can uh, let me know their their experience, whatever positive or negative, whatever. Okay, I would like to know because uh, you know life is short. And sharing, communicating, bring people together and short the distance between one, one another. And that's what life is about. And all the other things, the, the materialistic thing is a temporary thing. It's like a child. They have, a child have many toys. But after a few days, he's tired of toys. He wants just a, a simple stick to... Uh, you know, because it's something different. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you know that's life. You know, that's life. That's life. You yeah. know. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Doctor. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. You have a good day, and uh, hello to uh, goodbye to your audience. <laughs> I hope they they can read my book uh, and be or some remedy or help. <laughs>